Private Lender Podcast, Episode 49. The Private Lender Podcast quote of the day comes to us from Eleanor Roosevelt, who said, He who loses money loses much. He who loses a friend loses much more. He who loses faith loses all. This is the Private Lender Podcast, the show that shares practical advice and know-how for new and seasoned lenders, from private mortgages on single-family houses to joint ventures on commercial projects and beyond. Discover details about investment vehicles that you won't find at your local bank or online broker. Listen and learn from private lenders and real estate investors, as well as from professionals and entrepreneurs, as they share the details, strategies, and the insight that allows for successful and prosperous lending. Now, get ready to increase your ROI. Here's your host, Keith Baker. Pay me what you owe me. Don't act like you forgot. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Private Lender Podcast, the one, the only podcast on the interwebs dedicated to creating and supporting knowledgeable and successful private lenders. My name is Keith Baker, and my goal is to help people just like you and me participate in an alternative investment economy, one that is far from banks or Wall Street brokers or any really traditional investments. You're listening to episode 49, and today I'll be speaking with my friend Stephen Driscoll, who uses and utilizes other people's money, private lenders, to invest in more than just single-family residences, but uh, real estate in multiple states, including uh, Satan's microwave. That's what he calls Florida. So I uh, want to thank you for sharing your time with me today, and I really do hope you enjoy the interview with Steve. But before we get to that, I think you know what time it is. Time to pay the piper. This episode of the Private Lender Podcast is proudly sponsored by CountyTaxSaleApp.org. With CountyTaxSaleApp.org, you get a very powerful lead generation tool in the palm of your hand, on your laptop, desktop, or any device you choose. Get real-time alerts for between 300 and 600 properties every month that are coming up for the foreclosure auction in Harris County, Texas, the third largest county in the United States. With this intuitive design and interface, the County Tax Sale app lets you search all properties with highly motivated sellers that are coming up for foreclosure auction. Simply search the map and click on a property to learn important details about that property, such as the address, owner's contact info, minimum bid, and a street view photo. You can save properties to your favorites and contact the sellers directly and receive email and text alerts if one of your favorite properties is redeemed or canceled prior to the auction. You can even listen to Sammy Gupta on episode 28 of this podcast as he discusses all the powerful features and benefits of CountyTaxSaleApp.org. For more information, go to the Private Lender Podcast sponsor page, the show notes page for this episode, or to CountyTaxSaleApp.org. That's CountyTaxSaleApp.org. And now that the piper has been paid, I'd like to thank Sammy Gupta at CountyTaxSaleApp.org as well as Landon Rothstein and Ray Sasser at 713-RIA. Please, please support these sponsors, these fine sponsors. Uh, they're good people, too. But you can find out more information about each one at privatelenderpodcast.com forward slash sponsors to find out more. Okay, so now, to the heart of the matter. I met today's guest earlier this year at Mitch Stevens' real estate mastermind vacation in Cancun, and I really liked his style. Steve is a he's a straight shooter from New York that uses private lenders, other people's money, to fund his multi-state real estate investing empire. So in the spirit of talking fast, let's cut to the chase and get to the interview with Steve Driscoll. Hey, Lender Nation. I'm proud and honored to have Steve Driscoll with us today for the interview. I met Steve down in Cancun back in May of 18 on Mitch, the Mitch Steven Real Estate Mastermind. 
And if there's anything you want to know about that trip, Steve could tell you all the dirt on me and everything. But I just want to say, Steve, thanks for coming on the Private Lender Podcast. And it's good to see you and talk to you again. Hey, it's great being here. Thanks for asking me to come on board. Absolutely. There's really no formal structure to this interview. I just wanted Steve to come on. We got along really good down in Cancun. I've seen him in Texas since then at another Mitch Steven event. And so just wanted to kind of continue the role. And But I wanted to introduce him. You were on very quickly on the episode I did regarding the, the Cancun Mastermind, but wanted to delve a little deeper into your past and what you do. So correct me if I'm wrong, but you are a New York gangster. Is that correct? You're in, in the mob? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's me. Yeah, not quite, not quite. Not even close. I thought they made that movie Good Goodfellas about you or something like that. No, 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 no. As soon as you interview somebody from up here, that's that's the first thing you know, the first thing you Texans all say. What a lot of crap. Yeah. On, We're a little slow down here. We're you know, we do things a little differently. So everybody I'll tell you, I made the I was just down in San Antonio and Houston. I didn't spend much time in Houston. It's a pretty it's really, really nice, a nice part of the world there, but it's a lot different than what New York is, a lot different than the Northeast, but you don't really appreciate the country until you start traveling around. And I had a great time down there. I met some really, really good people. So, Well, you did it right. You went down there in October, which is the good time to go to Texas. So basically May through September, stay away. I don't care well, what I part of Texas. I in Florida. It's like the same thing. It's like Satan's microwave, I call it. You know? <laughs> Satan's microwave. It's hot as hell, man. Oh, my God. Yeah. So besides the former criminal activity that you never did. Oh, please. I said, I said that you never did. I said that you okay. never did. Okay. I know you have a background in finance. So if you could kind of uh, give us oh. your background and how you went and got into it was auto finance, I believe, and now you're doing in real estate. So if you can kind of just walk us through how you went from uh, cars to houses. Well, sure. Finance. Well, the cars started way, way back when, you know, I took a hobby and decided I was going to make a living out of it. And I love automobiles. Who doesn't love cars? Who doesn't like cars? So I was a kid, and I, I opened up, I was selling cars out of my driveway. And as time went on, I opened up car dealerships. And it was around 1985 when uh, our friends from uh, the Korea started bringing cars to the U.S. under the name Hyundai. Mm -hmm. And we also got another beautiful automobile here called a Yugo. Yes. And Detroit really started to feel the pinch because they were taking sales away. So they started dropping their interest rates. And as they dropped the interest rates down, they were buying anybody's loans that they could fog a mirror, basically speaking. So we went from doing a great business to basically being almost shut down overnight. So now what do you do? You had to basically reinvent. If you're an entrepreneur, if you're a, I'm not going to tell you a one-man band, but if you're an entrepreneur, a true person, you've got to roll with the punches. You've got to change with the market and you've got to make yourself reinvented. So we went ahead and I looked and I says, well, I did a little research and I says, and it's the same thing in the real estate market. If you're doing financing, look at the biggest side of the market. The biggest side of the market is the people that can't get financed. And it's over 80%. At the time, Back in the 80s, here in the New York metro area, over 80% of the people that were shopping to buy a car didn't qualify. So I said, you know what? I want to go service that end of the market. So I made some alliances with some finance companies and that. These guys were absolute crooks. They were the gangsters. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. 
So I says, you know what? If these guys can do this, I can do this legitimately. So I went and I became a licensed finance company. And in New York State, that's not an easy thing to do. Nothing's easy to do in New York. No, yeah. But I did it for a long, long time. And I worked up, you use your own money for a while. And after a while, you, know, you run out of money. So you either bring in, in private investors or there are banks and finance companies that are unique that are just boutique lenders for that end of the market. So, I mean, after a while, I mean, we were collecting a half a million dollars a month just in interest. <laughs> so we were doing really well. We had, I had lines of credit with asset-based lenders for, uh, I had one line for 65 million and a backup line for 15 million. So that's 80 million. And thank God we never used the backup line. And we came close at one time using the whole line, but we did really well for a long, long period of time. But this podcast is about private lending. And if I go back and I think, you've got to be able to put a price on an asset. You've got to be able to look and see document-wise, no matter what the asset is. I used to loan money. I mean, I've loaned money on some of the craziest stuff. You know, I came out with that book. You got a copy of it right there. Real estate uh, rock stars. Real estate rock stars. I, re- I just contributed to it the first chapter inside the book. I didn't write the whole book. I was asked to come on board with it. And I talk all about my business model. And I talk about how to protect investors, what you should do, what the steps are in general. And I got to tell you, I'm a pretty conservative borrower. I really don't like borrowing money. But you can't do business today. You Sooner or later, you're going to run out of cash. So, absolutely. But getting back to uh, the asset based lending and loaning money, I loaned money once on a uh, this is a, a quick story. I'd buy almost any damn thing if I could liquidate it. And I learned from these two young, these two old timers from New York City. They were both old retired attorneys and they'd buy anything. They could make chicken soup out of chicken. <laughs> right? Hope we can curse on this. Yeah, hey, no, no worries. So they called me up one day. I was buying credit card paper and all kinds of notes and stuff from them and just liquidating it out. I mean, big, big, big volumes through my company. They called me up one day and says, where are you? I says, I'm on Long Island. And these guys had moved to Arizona. He goes, listen, get in your car. You got, you got to go to Connecticut for us. He says, you're in this deal. I says, what's the deal? He says, we're buying a submarine. What the hell are you talking about buying a submarine? So this was the craziest deal I ever did, right? He says, you're in, you're in. What are you talking about, man? So he says, just get in the car. Call me when you're on the way. All right. So I had a couple of loose ends I had to take care of. I hop in the car. Now I'm driving up the New England Thruway, and I'm heading up to Connecticut. And uh, this, I get him back on the phone. He says, look, these guys were liquidators. So he says, we're loaning this guy money on, against this submarine. I go, yeah. He goes, he's not going to make the first payment on it. I go, how do you know that? He goes, I'm telling you, he's not going to make the first payment on it. I go, yeah, so what's the deal? He goes, well, instead of us just buying it, we're going to loan him money against it. Yeah. He says, you're in for 150 grand. I went, wow, 150 grand. You're in. Don't worry. You're going to be happy. Well, yeah, he goes, we got the rest of it all handled. I said, what does that mean? We already got this thing sold. Really? So I didn't say anything after that. He goes, just go up there. He says, pull up to the place. See if it's in the water, that's great. It means it floats. If it starts up and it runs, that's even better. If it moves, that's even better. It's a celebration. I says, all right. So I wind up, I, I'm up over there. 
And here's this big black turd in the ground in the water. It was a <laughs> World War II. They call it a whiskey sub or something or whatever. The guy had bought it up in Nova Scotia, and it was decommissioned. Then he drove it down to to Connecticut, and he wanted to borrow some money against it, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I show up there, and the guy says, "You here to inspect it?" I go, uh, "Yeah, I guess so." Well, come on on board. I says, "No, I'll stand right here." Start it up, and he starts it up, and the big wheels turning. Anyway, so it was well. So I goes, uh, I left, and I'm on the way back, and I call him. I says, "This thing's all right. It's it's in the water. Oh, that's great." So. He, whatever happened, about five, six weeks later, I call. He says, I haven't got any check. What's going on with this thing? Oh, you already, it's all being worked out. Maybe it was about eight weeks. He says to me, uh, yep, yep, yep. He says, the guy defaulted. We foreclosed. We took it. We're dicing it up now. We're shipping it to San Diego. I said, what does that mean? He goes, we're cutting it up. Because you can't put the thing on one trailer. He says, they're cutting it up in pieces and they're selling it to a salvage company out in California. He's already, they already had money from the guy. These guys were incredible, incredible. Yeah, these guys are real hustlers. But anyway, going back, that was a lesson I learned early about knowing what a liquidation value is worth. If you're going to buy an asset and you're going to loan somebody money against something, you want to know what the quick liquidation value is if the shit hits the fan. That's really, really important. All right, without knowing that value, you're gambling. Yeah. You're just gambling. So... I don't mean to take over your show. There. No, it's, it's quite all right. I have no problem doing it. Number one, that's a great story. It, yet you <laughs> drove up to Connecticut to look at a submarine. Nuts. It was nuts. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I could see like a mobile home or maybe a hot rod car, but a submarine, that quite. That was unique. And then we made six figures on that one. I was happy on that. Yeah. Wow. Six figures on, on salvage. Just, well, they sold it to us. They salvaged it, supposedly. It was in pieces on trucks. By the time I called the guy. About six, eight weeks into it, he had already, they had already cut the thing up and they were just transporting it. They had one piece of something left in, in Connecticut. So that's, in fact, I'd like to continue down this tangent a little bit because you mentioned that you were buying and liquidating credit card paper. Yep. Run me through that, please. Run us through how that works. Well, the you, buy, you know, back in the day, I don't know how it is today because I don't do that. All right. But you could buy volumes, lots and lots and lots of defaulted credit card paper. Now, what this fellow was doing was he was taking over companies that were going out of business, all right? And he'd buy, like, let's say the guy had a jewelry store, and he had four or five different jewelry stores. And uh, when I said credit card paper, it was more like loan paper, all okay. right? This particular transaction I'll tell you about, right? So he, they, they'd originate all millions of dollars, and but it was all, it was all just paper meaning it was in cash. It was all, I promise to pay. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't think the guy's cost on goods was even 5% of what he was writing this stuff for. But it was crazy. Yeah, it was, they just marked it way up. So when he was liquidating these buildings, he got everything. In other words, he go in and make a, make a play, and he says, I'm going to buy everything, right? I'm going to buy all the assets. So he got the buildings, the furniture. He got everything, which included the account paper, whatever he got. So when he put a liquidation value on this and that and this and that, and I wound up with all the paper. And some of the transactions were pretty big. He also bought, in a different transaction, he wound up taking over, I think it was a collection agency, and he got a lot of accounts that they held in-house that they, they had purchased and owned. And he wound up shoveling all that over to me. And that was all out of HSBC. 
uh, how, yeah, I believe it was HSBC Bank many, many years ago. And uh, when we, we started running this through our systems, most of the stuff was fraud, that people never existed. You know, when they send you a credit card, all you got to do is sign. Mm-hmm. When they go by people's addresses, general speaking, what the income is for the area, they'll give anybody a $1,000 line. And that's what all this crap was. Most of the stuff wasn't collected. We wasted a lot of time on that. But I've bought judgments in the past. You can make money with judgments if you know what you're doing. It's especially when anything you're going to look at is going to be tied to a piece of real estate. You're in the driver's seat if you know what you're doing. I like that. I like that a lot. Coming back, you mentioned your business model in the book, Real Estate Rockstars. So what's your, um, you do a little bit of landlording, some lease optioning and seller financing, but what does your business look like today? What I do right now is I bring in private lenders, buy houses, and finance them for the long haul. I like passive mailbox money. I'm not in to get big checks right away. Man, I want to retire one day. Look at this. See, this, this ain't much hair showing up here, but you can't even see it. But it's all gray, man. It's all gray. I'm getting old. I'll tell you that, that I love mailbox money. And when, one thing I found when I was in the auto finance business was good times and bad times, no matter what, you might not be selling anything, you might not be financing anything, but money still comes in the door. And that's what I love. When you're in a business, when you can manufacture a business like this, I call it manufacture. When you're in a business where the money makes the money, now you're in a business. So I'm not limiting my income to how many in the home finance business or auto finance business. You're limiting your income to how many units you can go out there and sell and finance. But long term, since what you're doing is facilitating financing, you're selling money. You're really not selling a piece of real estate. I'm selling money. And when you sell money and I'm writing 30-year contracts on it, that's forever money. So I bring in an investor and uh, we could talk about it quick. Sure. I bring investors in for five and 10 years and I just do interest only with them. And, uh, you know, I was at a RIA meeting last night and the guy gets up. He's all happy about this renovation that he did on this house, this rehab. And so many people watch this stuff on TV and they think they're making, they're going to make so much money. He's talking about this. And when he got all finished with all the money that he invested in this property, take out a calculator. What's the net, net, net number before taxes, right? Not yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. The net, net number before taxes, it was less than three and a half percent. And this guy killed himself to put this thing together. So I didn't crack wise wise with the guy or anything like that. He was a lot bigger than me anyway. (laughs) So the thing to do is just sit back and watch, right? So when I'm watching this, and then yesterday, I don't know when this is going to hit the airwaves, as they say. But yesterday, what did the stock drop? Did the stock market drop 650 points? Uh, Yeah, it was pretty significant. This is no longer your mom and dad's stock market. This is not the Wall Street that your dad invested in. And I think... That, you know what, we're not the individual people that, or even if your company is investing, we're not big enough to really be in the know as to what's really happening. They say this insider information is all illegal. It's all over Wall Street. And that's how these guys are making their plays. We're not big enough to be inside that club, as they say, to know how that's going to work. So where does that leave us? If you're investing on Wall Street, you're gambling. It's the biggest casino in the world. Thank you. You have absolutely no way of knowing what this stock or whatever you invest in is going to be worth anything. I asked after the meeting last night, I was giving away my book, right? So a bunch of them come over and they said, what's your strategy? 
how do you figure this and that? And why is, why is what you do so much better than what happens on Wall Street? I've been investing in Wall Street for years. How much money you make? Oh, well, you know, enough for a part-time job. I says, well, I'll tell you what. Here's the big difference is the hedge. What's a hedge? I go, well, have you explained this on your podcast before? I don't want to. Oh, no, go ahead. Go, please go ahead. Go on in. So the hedge, well, is, is well, in other words, if you buy a piece of stock, you buy one stock for $100 on Wall Street, all right, you're paying 100% of the value for that stock. So it costs you $100, right? Right. A week from now, for some reason, the stock loses 10% of its market value. So now it's down to $90 a share, right? And now if you decide you want to get out, there's fees and getting out of it. But let's just say, you just say, well, listen, it's $90 now. What do you do? Does the street tell you to to, to, to sit back and wait? Maybe it'll go up. How many times are you going to sit there and stare at the uh, business news and hopefully there's more good news that'll help you maybe push this back up? I can't do that. And I can't be responsible like that for an investor. I can't tell somebody that, that that's just legitimate investing. And there's people, listen, my dad was a banker all his life. And, you know, he invested some money in Wall Street. He never really made a lot of money on it. And I don't know. I was just raised saying, you know what? Don't gamble. Don't gamble. That is nothing short. There's no sure things in life. But when you get back to this and say, all right, here's our example. We paid, we paid $100 for this stock. Now it's worth 90 Come to me a sec. I'm going to sell. Make believe we got a house. Let's change the numbers. Let's say instead of it's $100, it's $100,000. All right? Okay. Take the $100,000 house, and you're going to give me $60,000 on a first mortgage. So that's 60 cents on a dollar. All right? Right. That $40, that $40,000 that 40, is the hedge, is the spread. Right? In order for your value to start dropping, in order for that's that, that mortgage, that value that you have, that note, to really, really get take a big hit, that number from the $100,000 has got to drop way, 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 way down, right? So that's your hedge. And that's what banks look at. This is a bank model. If you don't think so, ask yourself one question. Why the hell? Are there banks on every damn corner throughout the United States? And why the hell is it that you can put money into their bank and they're only giving you a point or three quarters of a point or 1% or maybe a point and a half? They turn around and put it out for five or six. They're making money on your money, arbitrage. That's what they call it. Now, there's no reason why the general Joe, I call him, the general consumer can't go ahead and get into the banking business because not as a business, but as an investment. And these people, I had a guy last night at the RIA who's a realtor stand up and tell me, what you're doing is illegal. I says, you know what? I'm illegal. Well, tell me what's illegal. You can't take in private investment like this. They go, how long have you been a realtor? Oh, 40 years. (laughs) Now, this guy, had his he had his laptop with him. I says, show me, listen, go bring me case law. Do something. Go online and do a little research for me. Download something that shows I'm illegal. So about 20 minutes later, now the whole place is listening. There's 100 people in this room. Later, he brings up all these pages, and we're looking at them, and every single page that he brought up basically reinforced what I said, that this is not only 100% legal, but the people out there are writing about it are saying, you should be doing this because the government's not going to watch out for you long term. Absolutely. The banks aren't, aren't going to be there for you. They're not going to be there. 
No, they're not. And not only is it 100% legal, the IRS allows for it in retirement programs. You yeah. can loan money out of your retirement programs and it's okay with the IRS. So yeah, I'm glad that you challenged that guy. And, uh, oh, that was fun. Oh, I bet, I bet you had a blast. Uh, listen, you know, I, got it. I was asked to get up and speak for a few minutes last night. And as you can tell, I'm very shy. Yes. So I get up and I spoke and this guy, you're watching. And he stands up. You don't know what you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> the whole place starts laughing because that was the first time this guy ever came to the meeting. And people know me there. And I had investors in the audience. They all started laughing. Yeah. So, was this guy from Texas? Yeah, Houston. Houston. Fact, something like you. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. That's a, I love the wit. God, I love the Northeast wit. Let's do it, baby. Come on. Oh, it's great. I just, oh, I just, oh, that's why I love talking to you. A couple of things I want to go back to. Sure. Let's talk about what you call the hedge is basically the loan to value is what I would call our LTV. It's the, if the house is worth a hundred grand and yet you've only loaned 60,000 on it, you've got a 60% loan to value or a 40% hedge. However, to me, it, it okay. not even apples and oranges. another number to consider. Okay. What's that? The other number I look at to consider is a few things. The first thing is when I'm buying it, let's say I'm buying a single family house mm-hmm. and I'm figuring I can sell or finance this house for say 110,000. All right. So in my head, I'm going to take a $10,000 down payment and I'm going to pay 50 grand for this house. Now, what happens if it doesn't work out? What happens if something really happens? I've got to have more than one escape plan. And I've got to have a plan that also, if I'm going to ask my investor, my investors are all like friends of mine. We go out to dinner. They're great people. There's got to be something to protect everybody. So I look at the immediate liquidation value of that property. That's very, very important. So in other words, if I'm writing a check for $50,000 for this house, I'm going to retail this house with my seller financing for 110. What happens to this house if I got to get out of this thing quick? Something happens. If I got to get out of it, what happens? Maybe it's only worth 40 grand. Let's say it's worth $40,000. I brought an investor in for, say, $55,000. Am I willing to write a check for that 15 grand to get out of it. I've got to know going in that, you know what? I've got to protect my investor. If I've got to get out of this thing really quick, what's it going to cost me? My investor eats before I do. Talk to any investor of mine. They'll tell you the same exact thing. And I'll tell you, I don't have respect for a lot of people that will make payments to investors. My investors get interest checks every month, but they get them early. This guy gets up at, one of my investors gets up at the real estate meeting last night. He goes, yeah, yeah. And I didn't ask the guy to say a word. We're just going around the room introducing everybody. And I, I want to tell you about this guy, Steve Driscoll. He's making my mortgage payments on my house. And look, what? I invested this money. And not only do I get the money, I get it early. I get it by the 24th of the month. And he gets right into my checking account. This guy goes, when's it due? He says, the first, I think. There you go. So pay your customers early. Pay your investors early. And it's just a great way to do business. But going back, you really need to know as an owner what the liquidation value is of that property right away. And if I was investing, same thing as going back to the submarine, all right? Before I put a dollar up, I wanted to know what the hell this damn thing was worth, all right? I checked into it. I checked the, the, the salvage value of it, all right, before I did anything. And I don't know if I'm putting up 150 grand, what is this damn thing worth? If, if he's going to ship this thing all the way to San Diego. That's yeah. going to cost money. The, the whole thing wound up making about 400, 500 grand. Jeez. So, yeah, we did really well on it. 
That's good. So you talk about your liquidation value. I understand that as if I'm in your shoes and I'm going to get the private lender lined up, I'm going to get the property and then I'm going to sell it with seller financing. To me, that immediate liquidation is if I had to go to a wholesaler and- I got to sell it this week. Something happened. I got to get rid of this thing right now. Yeah, exactly. What is it? now? So I'll sell it to the wholesaler and I'll turn around and I'll make the difference up to my investor. Everybody's whole and I walk away. Gotcha. Okay, good. You got to be able to do that. You got to be, because I'm going to tell you, a lot of people are just overly optimistic when they put deals together. And you know what? They do that because they don't have the experience. They're hoping, they're wishing. No, man, numbers don't lie. Numbers don't lie. Right. You know the market, you know the area. And if you don't, you don't belong investing. Simple as that. So I talked to Mitch a little bit about this, but you do the interest only for five to 10 years. Do you pay down or do you hoard cash so that when you, you finance that investor out, let's say you, you sell own seller finance for 30 years and you line up one private lender for the first 10 years, the second private lender for the second and a third for the last 10 without getting in your check. How do you work those numbers to make sure that, yep, the check to the private lenders there on the 24th by month 360, that owner has now paid everything he owns to you and everybody's happy. Well, it's never going to go out that, it's never going to go out that far. They're going to refi out. They refi or they sell a house or whatever it is. It never, most of these transactions, I mean, it also, I can't say that with the utmost sincerity because I do business in different parts of the country. Like the homes that I do in Florida, it's more of a transient state. If I'm selling a home to a couple of seniors and it's a two bedroom home, you're not going to get a big family going to want to move into that house down the road, but it's in a community where there's more seniors. So when these people are in the house 10, 12 years or whatever it is, and something happens, a life event happens, somebody has a stroke, or they decide it's not for them and they're going to move back to nowhere, wherever they came from, right? They got to be able to sell that house or, or call me up and say, listen, hey, this isn't working out. I'll take it back. You know, that's another thing, which is very important to know. I tell every one of my home buyers that I'm holding the note on, the mortgage, I say, look, if there comes a time where this is no longer for you, where your back is against the wall, where financially you just can't make this happen anymore, you pick up the telephone and you call me and you tell me, look, just what I just told you, and I'll let you tell you, put the keys on the counter and walk out the door because I'd rather have the house back in one piece rather than have an issue, have a problem. But I'll tell you, if you find yourself in that same situation, I'm talking to the, the, the buyer, the owner of the house. You find yourself in that same situation and you trash my house, you're done. You're done. You know? So I, this is my retirement, I tell him. I said, listen, respect the property. This is, you're not dealing with a bank. You're dealing with this poor little guy from New York. <laughs> I invest over a thousand miles away. I'm not investing in New York. You got to have rocks in your head to do what I do in New York. So, but I, I invest primarily in what they call non-judicial states. I don't know if you ever discussed that on here. Yes, basically means that you can foreclose without having to go in front of a judge. Uh, that's basically what it means. That's the nutshell, yeah. yeah. I mean, you still have to file. There's still a process that has to be followed, but you don't necessarily have to have a day in court in order to take the house back if you have the note. I know I'm going off on a tangent here, but did I answer your question? I'm not even sure. For the most part, yeah, because in the sense that the short answer was that the average mortgage is, what, seven years in the United States? They either refi out, they move, there's a life event or something like that. So it's easy to keep your private lenders paid up with interest-only payments. And that's, that's one thing some people trip over is how are 
if the value of the note or if there's no principles being reduced, then how is it profitable? But well, they've actually got to go out with what I with on my contract. My seller, if he doesn't miss any payments, he never makes a payment early. He never makes a payment larger than what he's supposed to. My end buyer's contract has to go out 22 years on a 30-year contract to equal what is owed to my investor on the front. I got 22 years. Gotcha. I mean, a lot can happen in 22 years. Sure. And if it comes out to that point, I just turn around, either stroke a check, sell the note. We can do all kinds of good things, but it's never going to go out that far. Right. I won't let it go out that far. My game ends at 10 years on most, on majority of these. 10 years. Yep. Gotcha. So- when you said did they get into the buyer gets into a bind, you say just leave the keys on the counter and walk away. I assume that's it's a deed in lieu, in lieu of foreclosure. You get them to sign some paperwork. Sometimes, depending on the state, I might just foreclose the house out because there's other liens on the property. I got to get rid of. Gotcha. Okay. You know, so when the person knows, I said, "Listen, no hard feelings, but you know what? You had all these repossessions on these three other cars since you bought the house. I got to get these off titles. So that's another thing you got to be careful of to protect your investor." All right, you got to know what you're doing on that end. My investor comes in the door, he's holding first, he's holding uh, the first mortgage anyway. Anything right. that happens after that doesn't affect him. All right, no. so, but I still want to make sure it's all nice and clean. That's a great point to where, as much as I like to avoid foreclosure on my notes, sometimes you have to because it cleans up the title. Like you just said, you could get a lot of different mechanics liens and other subordinate liens that you can wipe out by doing the foreclosure. Now, I haven't done a lot of foreclosures. But every one that I've done, I've made money on. Yeah. Does that sound crazy? No. Properties go up in value. Sometime when this person was in this property, before it was foreclosed, they paid down the principal, so that's income, right? I'm going to collect another down payment from the next buyer. And if the house is trashed, his insurance company's paying me to fix the house. And then he pays me at retail. So there's four income streams there. So, I mean, I don't like to do foreclosures, but that's the way it goes. It's, it's the way it is. But even with all that happening, my first note, the first mortgage, right? That investor never knows what's going on, never needs to be involved because he's the bank. He doesn't care because he gets paid no matter what. If my guy in the back end, I have to foreclose him and he stopped paying me six months ago, my investor doesn't know the difference because I'm still paying him. He doesn't know. There's never, nothing ever happens with that. That's just the right way to do business. If you're doing business with an investor, on now I'm talking to people that are investors in this private lending arena. If you're doing business with people that aren't capitalized, this is their first rodeo, and they're gonna, you know, you're gonna loan them money. Nothing wrong with that. Make sure the liquidation value is really gonna be there where you're not gonna get socked if this deal goes south. And watch your paperwork. You know, and a lot of your paperwork is only as good as the people you're doing business with. I mean, really. My investors will tell you, look. Steve, we're loaning you the money. I said, yeah, and I, I can't sign personally on them. I can't, all right? And good investors really shouldn't if they've got lots of assets because what happens is if something went wrong and I get sued and I lose and it's on property number one and there's not enough that judgments for way too much money to cover what's assets on property number one, what happens? Now they go after property number two. Yep. Number three, it starts a domino effect. I don't want that. So I make sure that every investor I do business with on a private lending side, they're happy with this property, right? Who else? Where are you going to buy a house for 55, 60 cents on a dollar? So if for some reason I don't pay you, I'm going to hand you the house. It's a great deal. 
So I ain't handed anybody a house. I have never done it. Hell and no. I don't have any plans on doing it anytime soon. That is the absolute worst case scenario nuclear holocaust option is yep. giving them the house back. Because like you said, when you put the hedge in there, you get your loan to value correct. Even if you do have to fire sale it by Friday, you've mitigated a tremendous amount of risk, especially with market fluctuations. I like your example with the stock that you're buying retail at all times. There's no way to buy a stock at a discount unless it's like through a company's uh, employee discount. Yeah, what are you gonna save? You know, you're still not going to save it. 7%? You're still at 93. Then you can't sell it. You're sitting there, you're sitting there waiting. You got to wait six months or whatever the, the waiting period is for that. So, And that's what I like about private lending and the passivity of it as well. It keeps me in private lending keeps me around successful, active investors like yourself. It keeps me in the biz, in the industry, and I'm able to take care of my job, what I got to do, and yet I'm still invested in real estate. And yet every month I get an email that says the amount of money was deposited into your account for this address, this lien or this note. And that's 15 minutes on the third of every month that I spend in the computer making sure I got paid. And if somebody doesn't pay me, I just, I go tell the lawyer, go take care of it. Keep everything above board, send out the letters, send me everything so I can document my file. And most people get their act together and pay the the late fee and keep going. If they don't, we're going through one right now where my partner Landon and I created the owner finance note. We bought a house for five grand, turned around and sold it for 30 and uh, Hurricane Harvey hit. And so we told the guy, look, stay in, stay in. You know, we're not going to foreclose on you. He ignored us. He didn't return any calls. We told him we wanted to modify the loan. We'd give him, I suggested, look, let's give him six months, no payment so he can get on his feet. But he ignored all of our attempts. So we, we finally now, 13 months after, 14 months after Harvey, we've uh, initiated the uh, foreclosure process. Was the house damaged? Uh, slightly. It took some water. But well, here's the funny thing. The house was not, <laughs> Harvey didn't do anything to that house that wasn't already done before. Right. <laughs> it was not, we got it for five grand, right? Yeah. So if anything, they just had to rip out the carpet and some of the padding because it took, it did take on some water, but the bones were good. You know, structurally speaking, the house is okay, but the uh, good foundation, the roof, believe it or not, was actually still pretty decent when we purchased it. But you know, after 14 months, we just decided, look, you know, we've communicate, we sent certified mail. We've emailed, we've texted, we called, we even called the guy's parents and said, look, you know, we want them to stay in the house. We don't want to foreclose. Nobody wins in a foreclosure. Really. That's the way I look at it. It's a, even if I get, even if I make money on the deal, it's still a hassle. It's a hassle. It's an embarrassment to the people that were there. The neighbors are all involved. I mean, it's, everybody's got an opinion. It's a tough situation. Yeah. I make money on them, but I don't want to do them. No. When I shake hands with somebody, I meet every one of my investors. I meet every one of my end buyers. I look at every house I buy, even though I'm doing it from a thousand miles away. Mm-hmm. I still like to look the person in the eye. I still like to, when I close a deal, I want to make sure that the people that are buying my property understand every single document. I've been to two closings where the attorney, I used a different attorney in, in a particular town I do business in. And the people were embarrassed. They weren't all that up on buying a house. And they had some legitimate questions. And the attorney, they went to ask the attorney, and the attorney goes, look. He turned to the last page. He says, this is all concrete. This is everything is the way it is. He said, it's all systematic. Something to that effect. He goes, this whole thing says, if you don't pay, you can't stay. Sign your name right there. I went, whoa, look at this. I just got up. I tore up the other document that was in front of me. I told the people, come on, let's go. He was, the guy was floored. I did this twice. And uh, you got to learn the attorneys you use. 
You know, the, one of the attorneys I use in Alabama, he does 70% of the foreclosures in that state. I mean, it's not a tremendous big state, but he's a big player in that, in that arena. And I want someone like that on my legal team, you know. So if I've got questions, if I'm producing documents, I know everything I'm doing is within the law. Everything I'm doing. Absolutely. People that are trying to go around Dodd-Frank and like when I retail a house, not only do I make sure everything is the way it's supposed to be, we close with RMLOs, licensed mortgage loan originators. And I want to make sure when we create these documents that I can sell that note, I can sell that mortgage down the road if I want to. It's going to be within everything. It's going to be within the realms. It's not going to be one of these exempted ones where you're going to get hit over the head and not take a big discount. on. I don't want that. So that's another avenue. We, I could talk about this all day with you. I love the fact, you know, you're bringing up the RMLO and that's, there's anything about the, I've always told people, if you're looking to make a quick buck, don't listen to this. You know, if you're looking to make a shady dollar or a gray dollar, I don't, don't listen to this. Keep everything above board. Stay compliant with your state, your federal, you know, municipality, whatever the, the rules and regulations are. And it's really not hard to do. No, it's not hard to do. Don't do business in places that are hard to do business. Exactly. I go to places where they want me to do business. Yeah. Great. It's great. So there's plenty of places to do it. And, and I've always, if I give you a note, then I have some documents drafted up by my attorney. You review them. You agree to them. We close. Done. If you or I are selling a house to an end buyer, like the guy that we have to foreclose on right now, put them through the RMLO, Residential Mortgage Loan Originator. Let them vet his situation, his finances, make sure he can afford the note. Keep it Dodd-Frank compliant, not only to keep it compliant to keep my butt out of jail, so to speak, but also, like you said, selling the note is, is always an exit strategy. It's not one that I want to use. It's plan C oftentimes for me. You know, if I have to liquidate some cash. Always, I can, that should always be somewhere in the toolbox that you're originating contracts that are 100% compliant and that they're always marketable. Exactly. When you do that, you're fine. You're fine. You, they have to be marketable. Yep. That also protects your investor. So what happened? And it protects your private lender. You're down the road six months, a year, two, three, four, five, eight years, whatever. So you know what? This note is performing. I'm done. You know what? He owes me $88,000. I got $50,000 owed to my investor. You know what? I'm cashing out. Maybe I'll sell a note for $80,000. Maybe I'll sell cash flow in it for the next 15, 18 years. Got lots of options with these things. Let's just say I just dump it and I sell it for $80,000, right? I still got a $30,000 spread and my uh, investor gets paid off. He only put up 50 grand. He gets his money back. So if you decide you don't want to play anymore, you can, there's a big market out there for buying notes. Huge, huge, yeah. you know? Buying paper, buying debt is big money. Just make sure you buy compliant stuff. Yeah, everything above board, nothing shady. Get the lawyers to draft it up in the state where you're doing it. And in fact, maybe it's a point that I've got, I'll come back to in a future episode, is basically how to vet an attorney when you're doing owner or seller financing or any private lending. Uh, because you know, a lot of people will hang shingles and say, yeah, I do this, I do this. You come to find out they do 10% of their business is business law, 20% family law, real estate. You know, they're kind of a, that's not the guy I'm looking for. I want the guy that's zeroed in. He's got his niche. It's all he does. Or she is uh, the best. Well, Steve, 
like I said, we could keep going on. I will definitely bring you back on in the future. I want to hear more about, about your business. But in the meantime, how can people learn more about you, your business, or get a hold of you? Well, they can always go directly to, uh, I got email, I'll just give you. It's sure. uh, steve at econohomesllc.com. That's steve at econohomesllc.com. Well, they can just call me. I'll give you a toll-free number. I'll 800-607-1942. That's 800-607-1942. If they're thinking about doing some uh, lending, and they want to get involved in, in being a uh, private lender, that's great. You know, give me a call. Because you know what? There's so many people out there, so much cash out there in the market today. And, you know, when you start asking these people, well, you want to get into the, everybody wants to get into the real estate business. Again, they watch this thing on TV, flip this house and all. Yep. Everybody, they make it look so damn easy, don't they? Chip and Joanna make it look so fun. Yeah, let's say, yeah, all oh, they're having so much fun. They, they, got, they pause for a commercial, they come back and the whole house is, is finished. Well, that was quick, you know? <laughs> so you want to vet the person you're doing business. If you're going to do, you know, before you even get that far, do you want to be a passive investor? Or do you want to be an active investor? That's the first thing you have to decide on, all right? Passive or active. Once you get over that hurdle, say, okay, what do you want to invest in? Then who do you want to invest in? How much do you want to invest? And work with someone that you've got a, that built-in chemistry with. You'll do fine. You'll do well if, you, if you, you know, you're in the right deal and you know your liquidation value. You're exactly the type of person when I say I'm looking to build a new economy. It's really just... The economy is already there. It's just bringing people into the fold and showing them that this can be done. You can be the bank legally, ethically, morally, and even th through the IRS's eyes. It's okay. Listen, and, we can do this ethically. The banks aren't. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. If you need money, they're not going to loan it to you. And the government will bail them out, but not us. That's the way it goes, man. So, Well, Steve, thanks again for coming on. You know, I'm going to have all your information on the show notes page, steve at econohomesllc.com. Or you can call them at 800-607-1942. Thanks again, man, for coming on. I look forward to uh, having no you on. Problem. Next time I come on, I'll have some copies of the book you can give away. Hey, even better. That sounds good. I'd appreciate it. No matter of fact, I'm going to get a couple. I got a bunch of them on order right now. I'll, I'll ship some down to you, and you, you can give them out if someone wants a request or they're interested. Let them send a request to you, and you can take care of it on your end. Thank you I'll very much. You a bunch of them. I appreciate it. That book is Real Estate Rockstars. Real estate leaders rocking the real estate industry today. There's other authors in there, and there's a lot of different business models that are in this. It's a really yeah. great book. You know? Actually, I've, I haven't read the whole thing, but uh, John Jackson's in there, and uh, I'm sorry he was on the show before you were, Steve. No, that's okay. John leaves a lasting impression. <laughs> yes, he does. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> He's gonna, I'm going to definitely email him this episode, but... You take care. All the best. I hope I wish you the happiest of uh, investing and success. And I'll talk to you soon, my friend. Thanks for the hit. Appreciate it. Great All talking. Right. Bye. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the interview with Steve Driscoll. I want to thank Steve for coming on, giving a great interview. He's a, he's a lot of fun. He's a good guy. He's, he's a lot of fun to be around. We got along pretty famously down in Cancun and he wasn't even drinking that much. So that helps. But anyway, thank you, Steve. Appreciate it. If you want to know more about Steve or what he does or his business model in real estate, Go to the show notes, privatelenderpodcast.com. I believe this will be show, I think it's 49. Yeah, 49. And click on the show notes and get all the information there that uh, Steve mentioned. 
and uh, some pretty robust uh, show notes. I, I happen to think they're the best in the industry. So anyhow, let's see where we are. We are closing out the year 2018, coming up on the year anniversary of this wonderful experiment called the Private Lender Podcast. And I just kind of wanted to do like a little customer, uh, customer service, public service announcement to you out there that it's not too late to make some moves in order to recruit and increase. Listen to me, man. I, I swear it's a Sunday morning. I'm completely sober. I just can't speak today. <laughs> anyway, so back to the point being coming up at the end of the year, not too late to try to reduce your tax burden. And I would recommend reaching out to your certified public accountant, your CPA. Or you know maybe you go to one of the, the services or whatever. Go in there, give them something to do, because uh, they're probably just shopping online right now. And say, look, I, I would like to get a snapshot of what you know. I've got one month left. What's my tax burden going to look like? How much have I contributed? Am I going to get money back? Do I owe money? Yada yada yada. And see what you can do. I mean, you might be able to contribute to a tax deferred account, or perhaps sell or uh, even donate a piece of art to a museum, a hospital, a church. You know, just do something to minimize that tax burden to the IRS. You know, as long as it's allowed and legal, of course. I don't condone tax evasion, but I celebrate tax avoidance because that's legal and allowed. Anyway, so just a suggestion. That's my Christmas gift to you. <laughs> you call me a cheap bastard for that. Anyway, now I'm going to grovel with you. Please go uh, rate and review if you find uh, anything uh, even remotely entertaining or educational or even interesting, please go to wherever you listen to this this wonderful experiment, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, whatever, and uh, leave a, a rating and review, please, and I, an honest one. You know, Yes, I'd love a five-star and a, and a glorious uh, raving review, but like an honest review from you, rating and review, because the more reviews and ratings that come in, the more people like yourself can find this podcast. And please spread the word on um, social media. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Bigger Pockets, or of course at privatelenderpodcast.com. And I'd like to thank everyone who's been reaching out, connecting with me, leaving comments, uh, leaving ratings and reviews. I really do appreciate it. And yeah, it means it does mean a lot. So thanks and please keep all that, that good stuff coming my way. It makes my day. All right, that's going to do it. We're going to wrap it up. Episode 49 is in the can. And I know we're coming up on the holiday season. So whether you celebrate Diwali, Hanukkah, Christmas, Kwanzaa, Ramadan, or any other festival that I've forgotten, it's holiday season. Let's try to be nice to each other while we're showing how wonderful a country we are and how spoiled and rich. That's kind of a downer in it, I guess. You know, well, you know, hey, who uh, who cares? Just, yeah, don't be assholes. How about that? We'll just leave it at that. So I wish you happy, prosperous lending and investing and all the best. See you on the next episode. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Private Lender Podcast with your host, Keith Baker. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit privatelenderpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time.